W-O-W-D-L-P, Tacoma Park. Dear listeners, you are tuned in to WOWDLP 94.3 FM. I am your host, Jack Gordon, and this is the very first episode of Interfaith-ish. Starting today and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, one hour at a time, we will be bringing you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm joined today in this new adventure by my collaborators, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller. How are you both doing? You excited about the new show? Yep, for sure. Absolutely. All right, let's roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So let's start by taking some time at the top of this, our first show, to introduce ourselves to our dear listeners. Sue, let's start with you. You're a writer and a journalist, author of Being Both, Embracing Two Religions in One Interfaith Family. Can you share a bit about the work you do as a researcher and an advocate for interfaith families and more broadly in the interfaith arena? Sure. Um my book is a chronicle of the grassroots movement, which was created by interfaith families who want to raise their kids with both family religions. And as an extension of that work, I founded something called the Network of Interfaith Family Groups on Facebook, which is a national and international meeting place. Uh, but I also do work on helping every interfaith family find a community that works for them, whether it's one religion or both or all religions or a secular community. And I'm also working to make space for the voices of what I call hashtag Gen Interfaith. And that represents the idea that people have multiple religious practices that they're drawing on, that they are practicing more than one religion often these days, and that they have complex religious identities and don't just have a singular religious label. So personally, I'm an interfaith kid. I was raised Jewish, and I'm the parent of two grown interfaith kids who were raised in the Interfaith Families Project, which is a community here in D.C., Awesome. And Miranda, you're actually involved with uh, Interfaith Families Project also, but you're coming to organizing collaboration between religious communities from a unique angle as a secular humanist. Tell us about that. Yeah, secular humanism is a rich ethical tradition that is practiced by a lot of people. Um, I can best sum it up by saying we believe that human beings can and should be good without a God, and we have the responsibility to improve our world with the time we are given here on Earth. Um, more and more people who identify as secular humanists, atheists, and agnostics are really getting involved with interfaith work, work these days, and they're often leading the forefront of such organizing. Um, 
Personally, I grew up in a United Methodist Church with my parents uh, back in Cincinnati, but uh, they never really pushed religion on me. I was really allowed to explore and, uh, you know, educate myself and encourage to believe what I wanted and to find my own path. So in college, I learned about secular humanism, and I felt that it resonated the most with me of any of the traditions that I had come across. Um, eventually, I got my master's degree in religion from a Unitarian Universalist seminary called Meadville Lombard in Chicago. And um, a lot of my studies focused on theology and interfaith issues. Uh, when I moved to D.C., I started working with the Interfaith Families Project, as you and Sue have mentioned. And IFFP is a really cool organization. It's very unique. It's the only organization uh, that does what it does um, here in D.C. and really very singular throughout the country as well. It supports families who choose to expose their children to both Christianity and Juda Judaism through education and community. And uh, they don't push any one religion on the children's. They teach, not preach. Awesome. So, Jack, you forgot to introduce yourself. Uh, you're also coming from an interfaith family, but actually you're also part of a religious community a lot of folks might not know that much about. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? That's right. So, so like you, Sue, I'm also the product of an, of an interfaith household. Um, the religious makeup of my family, though, is, is split sort of three ways. My father's side of the family is, is Jewish. Um, my mother's side of the family includes Christians of various denominations, but there's, there's also a handful of Baha'is thrown into the mix. And uh, I know that we'll be discussing the particulars of what it's like growing up in an interfaith family and how that influences our, our choices in life um, and our particular paths. Uh, we'll be focusing on that in an upcoming episode. But for now, I'll say that uh, for myself, in addition to identifying as Jewish, I'm also proud to be a practicing Baha'i. And uh, the Baha'i faith is one of the world's youngest monotheistic religious traditions. And I'll let you guys in on a little surprise. Um, it's very fitting that we're starting this show today because it's also the Baha'i New Year, which is called Nauru's. So happy Nauru's, guys. Happy Nauru's, yeah. Happy Nauru's, Jack. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks. So um, I know it doesn't feel like it, but we're at the beginning of spring. We've got a, a snowy day outside, um, but technically we're in the first few days of spring here. And um, it's a time when, when actually we're, we're celebrating a few uh, spring holidays connected with rebirth and new beginnings, right? Right. Absolutely. I mean, in planetary terms, from a secular point of view, this is the equinox. In the northern hemisphere, it's the spring equinox. So that's celebrated by secular and religious scientists alike. Uh, but there are ancient fertility festivals because it's the time of year when mammals get frisky. And so our pagan friends are celebrating Ostara right now. And that fertility theme may be linked to the eggs that you see as a spring symbol in a whole host of holidays right around now, including Nauru's Passover and Easter. Awesome. So in that spirit of new beginnings, um, we should probably share with our audience what we have in mind for this new show. Sound good? Let's do it. Yep. All right, great. We'll take a quick break and come back with more about what to expect to hear every other Wednesday at 9 a.m. on our new show, Interfaith-ish. 
You're listening to WOWDLP 94.3 FM, Tacoma Radio. Welcome back to Interfaith-ish on Tacoma Radio. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm here with Sue Katz-Miller and Miranda Hovmeyer, three intrepid astronauts investigating our interconnected universe on an interreligious, intercultural, intergalactic expedition, all from the comfort of a shoebox radio studio here in the People's Republic of Tacoma Park. Before the break, we were just getting into our vision for our new show, Every other Wednesday morning, we'll be bringing into conversation local D.C. area residents from a variety of religious traditions, faith perspectives, and backgrounds. The goal is to educate, of course, to demystify misconceptions and to encourage religious literacy. But also, dear listeners, we want to model having bold conversations, taking the initiative with strangers, neighbors, and even friends to talk respectfully and openly about the common ground and differences between our traditions. And hopefully, through this effort, we can do our part to help move the needle towards a more positive spirit of interfaith engagement in our society and in our community specifically. But in order to do that, it seems important that we would take a moment to actually define what do we mean by interfaith. This is a term that can mean different things to different people, so let's get into that. Sue, what do you say your understanding is of the term interfaith, and how do you use it? So for me, interfaith is a word that is applied to both interfaith dialogue in a formal sense and interfaith families. And I like how it encompasses both of those conversations because I'm always trying to connect them to hold up interfaith families as a kind of a model for respectful interfaith conversation and engagement. I like that the word interfaith is short and sweet and that it's searchable on Google. So for now, I'm sticking with it. But the term interfaith has taken a lot of heat um, from a very conservative point of view. You have traditional religious institutions that don't even want people to engage in interfaith dialogue because they're fearful of it or they're they're afraid that people will stray from their religious viewpoint. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, I think there's been some discomfort with interfaith because the word faith may sound traditional, sort of Christian-centric, churchy to some people. (laughs) 
And there's been a lot of alternatives that have been thrown out there. Like maybe we should say interreligious or transreligious or interbelief or interworldview. But I think each of those terms comes with its own issues and baggage. So I'm sticking with interfaith or interfaith-ish, if you prefer. <laughs> Great. What about you, Miranda? What's your take on, on the whole language debate on this? Well, Sue's right. I know a lot of people um, that, who don't believe in God, especially uh, capital A atheists, have trouble <laughs> with the word interfaith. But it doesn't really bother me personally. I do consider myself a person of faith because I have a strong faith in human beings and their ability to do and to be good. Mm. Uh, to me, the word interfaith means having the hard conversations and doing the tough work involved in bringing religious and non-religious communities together to build religious literacy and improve our world. Uh, in my opinion, what interfaith is not is boiling each tradition down to its lowest common denominator right. so that we can say that we all we all really believe the exact same thing, the same God, etc. And to me, this is just an easy way out. It's way too simple. And like interfaith actually isn't simple. It takes work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll show that one thing I, I always find hilarious and I'm I'm guilty of this myself. I catch folks saying um, with our U.S. accents, we drop the T and we usually say interfaith, mm -hmm. interfaith, which like, is like I'm going to an interfaith conference or an inter I participate in interfaith dialogue. And um, this is, you know, it's confusing because it's like, so you went inside. It's like a more of an introspective thing. You're going in an inward thing. But when actually interfaith is really more about being external, about engaging with other people, about about thinking um, about how our tradition relates to others and and really about other viewpoints. So um, that's just, uh, so pronounce the T. Yeah, we right. gotta hit the hit the T's. Hit the T's. Not it's, it's, interfaith, interfaith. Right, right. Okay. So we're interfaith-ish, <laughs> interfaith-ish. So I agree with you that I think you know this this term interfaith can be a, a catch-all term. Um, you know, a prayer service that's often labeled as interfaith is often really multi-faith because it's usually including prayers from various traditions. Um, but there isn't really any direct exchange that's happening between the presenters. There's no dialogue. There's no commentary that weaves together the texts of these various traditions. Um, and it can also be used, interestingly, as an adjective, but also as a noun or even a verb. And I often hear myself um, saying to other people that we're doing interfaith or that we say somebody is all about interfaith, right, when you're really into it. So, you know, it envelops all of these concepts and situations, whether referring to service projects and academic studies, hanging out in a social setting, you know, building community, um, theology, any, any, of these, any of these broad subjects. So, I think that's one thing that I actually love about it, honestly, because interfaith for me has such a positive connotation. Um, it, it can be so many forms and expressions of ways that ultimately uh, an activity when we're, when we're learning from one another and learning alongside one another. Um, but here's a, here's a curveball for you. So what about this idea of an interfaith movement? What does that mean to you, especially when we think about the current climate the, the context of being in a moment where there's a lot of high-profile advocacy and solidarity efforts aimed at supporting particularly certain religious minorities. Are these part of an interfaith movement? Um, or is, this, is it possible that we can even claim that there is 
such a thing as an interfaith movement? So a lot of people trace the movement back to the 19th century hmm. when there was the first parliament of world religions. And that was the first time that I think people came together purposefully from many religions to speak together in a formal context. But that type of what you called multi-faith engagement often I think of as the three beards model <laughs> where you have clergy, maybe a, a, a rabbi, a priest, and an imam all sitting on a stage, each maybe reading or quoting from their own scriptures, and then maybe shaking hands and then going back into their religiously labeled boxes. I think of that as kind of old school mm -hmm. interfaith. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happened more recently, in particular since 9-11, there was a feeling that we have to go deeper, that we have to have deeper understanding. And so I think we're now in a sort of an interfaith movement 2.0, which represents the complexity, which acknowledges that people do sometimes convert from one religion to another or leave religion altogether and become secular humanists, that there are people who are multiple religious practitioners, that there are permanent bonds that tie us and that we don't just go back into our little monofaith boxes, that almost all of us have extended interfaith families at this point or work in environments where we are engaging on a daily basis with people of other religions. So it's not just something that we watch happening on a stage between three old bearded men. Mm -hmm. I will note that Jack does have a beard. That's right. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not in the old category. Quite no, yet. none of us is old. So <laughs> we are definitely hashtag Jen Interfaith. Well, and I mean, I saw those guys, you know, on my way here, the imam, rabbi, and the priest. They were all just hanging out at the bar. So, <laughs> the know. snow day, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Might as well hang out there. Yeah. Yep. So what, what about you, Miranda? When you... Uh, have been involved. I mean, you've been doing this for, for quite a few years now since you were a youth. And, um, and so how have you seen things evolve? How have you, have you been in, involved in influencing that and, and being a voice in that changing face of what interfaith looks like? Yeah, um, I agree with Sue that a lot of people my age, you know, millennials are really shaped by 9-11, uh, especially uh, in doing interfaith work. I think my goal and the goal of a lot of my peers as far as the interfaith movement is to make interfaith a social norm, right? Like a word and a thing that everyone knows and has heard at some point and has positive things to say about. Um, you know, I, I really value the importance of religious literacy and I believe that that's not something, anyway, we, uh, that wasn't something I got uh, in public school was any kind of religious literacy. And I think that uh, was, is actually a disservice to us as Americans mm. because we develop uh, fears and misunderstandings about other religious traditions and ethical traditions in our own because we're not, it's not even we're positively or negatively exposed to them. We're just not exposed to them at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I really want to kind of undo a lot of that um, taboo of like religion is something we don't talk about. You know, I think that's done us a lot of damage because we are uneducated about religion and we don't know how to talk to each other about religion. So this is a little bit of a sidebar, but 
can you define um, for the folks that are listening? What, what do you mean by religious literacy? What is that? What does that oh, look like? Oh, to me, that just looks like um, you know you have a a pretty healthy but you know somewhat basic understanding of all the major faith traditions or ethical ethical traditions and what they believe and practice and what they don't. So you know when you hear things uh, from people who are uneducated about, you know, Islam practice, this, this thing, you can say that's, you know, I, that's actually not true, or that actually, you know, that you're, you're on misunderstanding that or whatever. And then you can uh, hopefully just educate people about it to a point where we can all be educated. Um, the uh, Christian Science Monitor did a, a study a few years ago and <laughs> about who what group is the most religiously literate and atheists actually came up as the most hmm. religiously literate group <laughs> um which you know just says a lot i think i wish uh every group was as was religiously literate and just understood more about different religious traditions uh had you know curiosity about them that was positive and we all were just a little more educated about each other mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I think it's it's curious that I I can't remember where the report was that I I saw it, but this idea that the U.S. in particular, while the most religiously fervent, right, one of one of the countries in the world that identifies as the most religious, self-identifying, you know, in terms of the population, we also have the lowest level of religious knowledge, even about the traditions that we we come from ourselves, That's true. right. So to to have both of those things held at the same um, in the same place is is a is a, a curious issue to have and a reason why we need more of these social studies and and frankly one one of the reasons why you know for me personally and and I, if I can speak for you guys as well I think you know why we're involved in this work right to be able to raise the bar for everybody to to contribute to um, building that religious literacy. And um, encouraging people, as you were saying, Miranda, to you know step out of their comfort zones, to have those conversations, to ask the questions when they um, when they you know come up for them, obviously in a respectful way, um, but but also to be unafraid when we don't know something, so that we can um, we can help better understand our our neighbors and friends, and and frankly, increasingly even more. Our, our family members, you know, who come from different paths or at some point in their life decide to choose a different path. So, um, you know, that's definitely a, a big inf inspiration for, for doing this show. And since now that we've talked about the broader context, maybe we can turn the conversation back to this new show of ours. Um, are there hopes that each of you have for interfaith-ish ways in which you'd like to engage the broader community? Um, yeah, so I really hope this show... Uh you know, like I said earlier, makes interfaith more of a social norm. I want the word to be something that people recognize. You know, when I say I, I work in interfaith work, people are like, oh, that's great. They're not like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and I really just want uh, people to learn about other traditions and learn about their own traditions and see positive examples of people from different faith traditions interacting with one another. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sue? I second that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. 
You're listening to Tacoma Radio, WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is the inaugural episode of Interfaith-ish, a new bi-weekly show where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm joined by my collaborators, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller. Each episode will be featuring two guests with distinctly different religious beliefs, brought together to share about their traditions, educate us, and each other. The first part of the show, we'll be introducing our guests and hearing about their individual stories. And the second half of the show, where we are right now, we'll be turning over the mic to our guests to discuss directly with each other. We are all in this process of learning together, and even if we've worked shoulder to shoulder with interfaith collaborators for years, we know that there are often still things we've always wanted to know about their tradition or practice, things that we have maybe never asked or never known to ask or just flat out misunderstood. So whether they're old friends or new, this is a space to ask questions respectfully and with a spirit of learning, but also boldly and with open hearts. And luckily, in this first episode, I have with me a pair of indefatigable interfaith interlocutors, Sue Katz-Miller, <laughs> author of Being Both, and Miranda Hovmeyer, Program Coordinator for Interfaith Families Project. Sue and Miranda have worked together for years, but as we know from many, many conversations, when it comes to interfaith dialogue, there's always more to explore. So with that, I will turn it over to Sue and Miranda. So, Miranda, a question. You're part of the fastest growing and largest identity group in America in terms of religion, and that's the religious nuns. That's N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. So could you explain more about the different identities that are lumped together into that religious nuns group? That's a term that sort of sociologists and pollsters have been using lately. Yeah, well, I can certainly try. Um, there's lots of different people with different viewpoints and identities lumped into the nuns group. Uh, lumped into the religious nuns are people like me who identify as secular humanists. There's atheists, capital A atheists, agnostics, and the uh, SBNRs are spiritual but not religious. Then that's just to name a few. It's kind of a difficult title because it includes so many rich, colorful, and different points of view. Some of us are questioning and some of us aren't. And some of us are spiritual and some of us aren't spiritual at all. Mm, interesting. And atheists have historically really been excluded from interfaith dialogue. So I think it's exciting that in our program here, we're including them from the very start. But how is that changing now? And, and what motivates you as a secular humanist or atheist to spend your working and volunteering hours on interfaith peace building. So I can't speak for all atheists, but more and more people who don't believe in God are getting involved in interfaith work these days. Uh, we have historically been excluded for lots of reasons. One thing I encounter quite often are religious people assuming that I don't have values or morals because I don't believe in God and draw these things from a religious tradition. Uh, usually once they work with me for a while and learn more about my ethical tradition, they learn that I do in fact have morals and that they are often in line with their own. 
my personal drive to do interfaith work is heavily influenced by my own ethical tradition, you know, which other people from other traditions can identify with. Um, because secular humanists don't believe in an afterlife, we put a lot of value on the work we do in the here and now and making our world better than we left it. And that's what I'm trying to do with my interfaith work. And I think it's important to note that I think there's a growing contingent or, or representation of secular humanists and atheists and agnostics within traditional religious communities. So certainly, you know, I grew up Jewish. I, I still identify as Jewish. In many Jewish communities, you're going to have a lot of secular humanists in the community. They're there for a lot of reasons, historical reasons, family reasons, um, but they're not necessarily people who believe in God. Right. And I think that's, you know, starting to be something that we also see, you know, it's normal to hear people identify, I think, as like Jewish atheists or Jewish secular humanists. Or secular Jew. Or secular cultural Jew. Cultural Jew. Right. But I also think we're starting to see that some with like people identifying as like secular Christians. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, that's a little more rare to find, but it is a thing, you know, people who... Uh, don't necessarily believe in God, but were brought up Christian and still practice Christian holidays and still can identify as like culturally Christian, mm -hmm. right? Or even participate in Christian community because they want that community for a lot of reasons, even though they are not necessarily believing in God. Yeah, exactly. There's so much of that. Um, what do you think, Jack? Yeah, well, I, I know that in my life, I've I've definitely been through a number of those different places where growing up for me, I identified very strongly as Jewish. And in spite of my um, mother's side of the family having a Christian background, actually also for, for a certain amount of time Methodist, um, that it wasn't, it wasn't an active part of her life. You know, I like to say that the, the way that my mom is is a Christian is is that she's just a good person, mm. you know. She mm -hmm. she lives that Christ-like life, you know, and and that that was sort of the the best example to me of that. But but that's really only in in sort of reflection afterwards. In the moment, I actually had a very strong antagonism towards Christianity um, growing up because of the history of persecution that I would learn about. Um, particularly perpetuated by Christians um, towards the Jewish community. And because Judaism was my active religious engagement growing up, um, that that was a huge influence on me. But, you know, at the same time, um, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily thought about God so much in that, in that formation, in that Jewish formation. I was a kid who was really into mythology, obviously really into comic books. So a nerd, right? You know, yeah, yeah, I'll claim that. I'll claim that. So um, so the religious stories that I was hearing from the Old Testament were, were sort of, you know, they were Jewish mythology. They were extension of these things, these fantastical stories of, of, um, of unreal, you know, monsters and, and plagues and, and, um, superheroes, you know, that were coming in to save the day and this crazy, you know, spiritual force that was guiding them. And sometimes, depending on the, the, the particular story, the, the force was either a, a, uh, a, a, a good force or it was a, a very angry force, you know. Um, so, so for me, 
I, I never really felt like there was a, a God that was, um, it, the way I was seeing it, it sort of professed to be expressed by people who had a more direct connection or, you know, a, 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 the way that they seemed to have a love for Jesus in that, in that way and, and saw their, their religious expression that way. So, um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a curious thing about how you move then from a place of, of, um, of, of, being identifying as a particular religious tradition and religious identity while at the same time if the key factor of that is is a belief in god and that isn't necessarily the motivating power beneath it um yeah i think the idea of belief and unbelief as this binary in part comes from the very christian history and perspective in the united states there are certain religions that are faith-oriented, Christianity and Islam are two of them, Mm -hmm. but others, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, really are more about the practice and the ritual than they are about the the belief. Um, And so, you know, I think it's important to have a more global perspective when we talk about religions in the plural. Even the whole idea of what is a religion is a very contested topic for academics. Mm -hmm. They explain that it's a relatively recent phenomenon for us to even talk about religion. Historically, many peoples just identified themselves as themselves. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we believe. Uh, But they didn't necessarily think of it as a religion. So Yeah, and this is the exciting thing, frankly, about getting involved in interfaith work, in interfaith engagement, because we learn that our assumptions about how the world operates or what our faith formation is, what our religious formation is, is not the norm, is, is very much um, at, at a, could be in a, a 180 degree angle from, from where somebody else is, is coming in on these things. And I know that I've, I've learned so much um, not only from my own experience um, coming into the Baha'i faith and learning about the Baha'i faith and, and how that's influenced and helped me made sense of, of certain things that I struggled with as a, as a younger person, had questions about, but, but even moving beyond that and, and thinking about um, how it is that other people, like you're saying, that grow up in what we particularly, uh, in, in, you know, in particular conceive of as Eastern traditions, um, that don't fall into the Abrahamic line of of, of religious concept, um, how those traditions really view our relationship with the divine, with the universe, with our soul, with our spirit, all of those things very differently. And then frankly also, when we, when we start to investigate what even religious communities that might be Jewish communities or Christian communities or the 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 broad diversity of Muslim communities and so forth. Certainly, I I put the the Baha'i faith in there as as well because people are practicing these traditions in the context of so many different cultural and um, ethnic uh, contexts all around the world. It expresses itself very differently in the different places um, that you are. So, um, you know, the more that we do this interfaith work, the more that I feel like we're expanding on that. So I just want to point out that you threw out a term there, Abrahamic faiths, which people often use that to refer to Judaism, 
Christianity and Islam because they share that story of Abraham. But I'm trying not to use that term anymore because it is patriarchal. <laughs> and patriarchy fair enough, fair is enough. woven through those religions. But as we're, you know, trying to move away from that, honestly, in the 21st century, I'm trying to figure out other ways to refer to those three religions. I always uh, like referring to the Eastern religions as the Dharmic traditions, mm -hmm. too. Um, I just think maybe that was because, you know, Abrahamic and Dharmic. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know. But if we're changing Abraham Abrahamic, maybe we have to change Dharmic, too. Well, we I need something that sounds great. <laughs> Dharmic doesn't have a patriarchy connotation, so I don't have that Accurate. same problem with it. The Dharmic faiths often were referring to Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, share the concept of Dharma. And so that's a way of describing them. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think that it's your point is well taken. And I think that we're always going to have language be the thing that fails us when describing mm. these sort of ineffable concepts of of you know, belief and, and this dynamic relationship that we're always having, this struggle that we're always engaged in with, with how we relate to the broader universe, to the broader, you know, um, community even of, of, of humanity. Um, but even beyond that, when we think about it on, on sort of a metaphysical, metaphysical level. So, so um, I acknowledge that, uh, that we are, we're always failing and striving to, to describe these things. And so there's, um, I think, a, a key element to, to any sort of um, interfaith dialogue and engagement conversation, um, community building together is a, um, a, a patience with others and, and uh, hopefully a, um, uh, receiving that mercy, <laughs> I guess, from other peoples because we are a test. We are all a test to each other. <laughs> Sorry if I was impatient about patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Interfaith mercy. That's right. So it, maybe if we can we can go back for a second though to um, to to Miranda and Sue. Miranda, do you have any questions for for Sue about about the the way that she's grown up and the way that she perceives things? Sue just has such great stories about her upbringing. I, you know, her uh, family just, her parents decided to raise her Jewish, but, her, you know, her mother, uh, who wasn't the Jewish parent, kind of had some issues with that, that she didn't necessarily know would come up when they were just planning to, you know, have and raise Jewish children. So I don't know. Susan, I wish you would just tell one of your stories about that, that, because they're so great. Hmm. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, I think that a lot of couples make a really well-intentioned effort to make a decision about religious identity for their interfaith family at the outset, because they think that's the responsible thing to do. And then you find life comes along and children are born, people die, you have crises, and it's really hard to anticipate what's going to happen or how you're going to feel or how you're going to feel about your religion of birth and your religious background. And I've certainly seen that in my family. I think my parents made a good decision to choose one religion. It's a 
decision that works for a lot of families, but not all families. And part of what I talk about is the idea that any decision you make, whether it's one religion or both or none or all, there's going to be drawbacks and there's going to be benefits. So I saw in my family the benefits of having chosen Judaism for us was that we had a very deep education in Judaism. We learned Hebrew. You know, my siblings and I all went through the bar bat mitzvah process. And so it worked in the sense that we developed that depth of identification. But there were drawbacks. And, you know, I saw those moments throughout my life, including my, when my mother died a year ago. You know, we had this issue. She was going to be mar uh, buried in a Jewish cemetery where my father will be buried. But who would officiate? Right. A rabbi? She was Episcopalian. Right. So that didn't really make sense. Or an Episcopal priest? That didn't really make sense because here we were in a Jewish cemetery and the principal mourner, my father, is Jewish. Right. So I ended up officiating myself. Yeah, mm. you did. Wow. I did. I did. Because I could honestly draw on both sides. Right. I felt I could speak to her Christianity and speak to my father's Judaism and speak to the wholeness of our family as an interfaith family. So that's probably a little bit more intense no, than the story you were expecting. I but, love those stories. Yeah. I think the stories are what people remember, you know, so yeah. the stories are important. Yeah. And I think also we're, we're, we're seeing hopefully through the, this um, experiment that we're all engaged in here that that it really comes down to our personal perspectives and reflections on these things. Obviously, you know, if you've had the experience like you have, Sue, of being um, a researcher or, or working in, in an academic or journalistic field around these things, you're, you're looking at sort of a bird's eye view on what are the trends in religious communities, how do they engage um, on various topics and subject matter, either within themselves uh, as a community or with the broader world. But when it comes to um, really building these personal relationships and building a, a level of understanding, really what it comes down to is those personal stories, mm -hmm. those personal understandings of our own traditions, and frankly, how those understandings have been framed and shaped by our lived experience, um, how it is that we have moved through the world, where have we grown up in the world. So here um, at, on Interfaith-ish on WOWD Tacoma Park, we're, we're hoping to, to be able to model that for you all, our, our dear listeners, and, and show through the examples that we have in the terrific network of interfaith collaborators, friends from throughout the D.C. area and beyond that we plan to have here on the show bringing in a variety of perspectives every other week on Wednesday at 9 a.m. And uh, we're excited to be engaged in this new adventure and, um, and look forward to, to where it takes us and, and all that we can learn. I think, Jack, you've made an important point, which is that each of us has to remember that we're speaking for ourselves and not representing an entire group. And that's something that sometimes happens in interfaith dialogue, engagement, and you really can only speak for yourself because each of us has had a unique set of influences and we have a unique set of beliefs and practices and you really can't generalize like all people who celebrate Judaism do this or that or all people from interfaith families feel this or that. 
you can't make those statements and and we're going to be trying not to make them on the air. Yep. Right. We're as unique as all the snowflakes covering my car right now. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's uh, it's getting pretty heavy out there, so I hope everybody's safe out on the roads and or or nice and toasty in their homes. We're um we're starting to wrap up here, uh getting close to to 10 o'clock, so we're going to just um close things out and uh and uh leave you with with um some last thoughts before we make way for Borderlines coming up at 10 o'clock with, with Bobby Hill. This is WOWD Tacoma Radio. Before we close, we want to take a look at the local interfaith calendar to let you know, dear listeners, about some upcoming events and opportunities here in the D.C. area. Do you want to meet with people of other religions in real life? You can sign up for the Know Your Neighbor Interfaith Learning Sessions and Dinner Dialogues, an annual activity organized by the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington. On three Sunday evenings between April and May, three religious uh, local co- religious congregations in the metropolitan D.C. area will host these dinners. These events will give participants a chance to reflect and share in small group dialogues through the lens of their own experience and tradition. Host religious communities this year include the Sikh community and the Hindu community, and they will provide a simple vegetarian meal for everyone to enjoy. You can register to attend a single session or more, and registration and other information can be found at ifcmw.org. Guys, this is it, our first show of Interfaith-ish in the bag here at Tacoma Radio, W-O-W-D. How do you feel, Sue Miranda, my dear collaborators? What's going on? How do you feel about it? I'm feeling amazing, (laughs) and that's partly because I think the mission of W-O-W-D from the beginning has been to represent the diversity of the community here And I'm excited that this will now include a discussion of the diversity of traditions, practices, and beliefs in our community, because I think that's important, and it really hasn't been represented on the station yet, and we're going to bring it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm feeling really great about this. Uh, This is a great experience. I could talk about this stuff all day. I'm sure you guys could, too. (laughs) Um, But we won't do that. But I really hope people, you know, uh, got a good sense of people having a positive religious uh, conversation and getting to learn stuff maybe they didn't know about religious other traditions other than their own. 
And I'm just really excited to keep doing this. That's great. And I want to extend my appreciation to both of you for collaborating with me on getting this show up and running. You know, we first started about doing Interfaith-ish here on Tacoma Radio a little over a year ago. And it's really amazing to finally be here on this uh, beginning first days of spring um, for real on, on the air live. And I'm just so grateful for the support, the encouragement, the dedication that both of you have had um, putting forward to, uh, to really see this collaboration come to life and breathe life into this project. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be finally on the air here at Tacoma Radio with Interfaith-ish. And I also want to thank our uh, hosts, um, all, all the, the team here, Marika and Steve, for helping us get up and, and running, um, giving Interfaith-ish a home. I want to um, thank our, our uh, music for the show that's been uh, generously contributed by Jembe Jones and Jeff Philosopher. Thank you so much for the tracks. And we're going to be back in two weeks on Wednesday, April 4th, at 9 a.m. with our next live episode, Dishing on All the Interfaith-ish. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week. And you can check out TacomaRadio.org for a full program schedule and to stream the show live up online. Up next is going to be Borderlines with Bobby Hill. On the People's Voice of Choice, Tacoma Radio, WOWD 94.3 FM.